we've been working through the last couple of weeks uh, a sermon series talking about who Jesus was and looking at one of the least uh, preached about sections of Jesus' story, which is his genealogy. And we kind of first started talking through the idea that if you were going to write something that was going to grab everybody's attention, uh, a genealogy probably wouldn't be how you'd begin. And yet, that's what Matthew did. He wrote this, this uh, list of all the people that were in the line of Jesus and what that meant to us. And we talked through just this idea that this absolutely would have been something that would have drawn in first century Jewish people, but it's something that kind of goes over our head. And we've talked through kind of the meaning of the genealogy. We've talked about how Jesus was a son of David who came and sat on the line in, on the throne that David set um, forth and that Jesus was essentially fulfilling the prophecies that he would be uh, a son of David. He talked about how he was the son of Abraham, that he was part of the Jewish nation and kind of came out of that and God was doing something with them and through them to bless the entire world uh, with Jesus. Uh, and, and then last week we talked about that he was a son of Gentiles, that there are actually non-Jewish people in his genealogy, which is kind of incredible to think about because Jews would have been against the idea of there being any sort of foreigners in the genealogy, and yet there are foreigners and there are foreign women in Jesus' genealogy. Women generally weren't part of the genealogy, and so why? Why were they included? We talked about Jesus came for everyone, and uh, his genealogy shows us that he cared about even people who weren't the like precious chosen people, and how incredible that is. And today, I, I want to talk about his, his father. He, he's the son of Joseph. Now, this genealogy in the beginning of Matthew chapter 1 is the story of Jesus' line, but it's actually the story of Joseph's line. And Jesus, when he comes onto the scene, you know, the angel comes and tells Mary, hey, uh, you know, you're going to be with child and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and create this child in, inside of you. Joseph is told by, uh, um, you know, God in a dream, an angel, that this Holy Spirit is going to come and is going to create it. And so, Joseph really isn't the biological father of Jesus, yet this is his genealogy because he adopts Jesus. And it's kind of a plot twist. As Jews would have heard this story, they would have heard uh, the options here, and they would have thought that Joseph was wild for choosing to do what he did. And so I'm going to actually pick this up in Matthew chapter 1, and it's going to start with verse uh, 18. Hey, Mike, can we put the lights on in the room? All on. Thanks. Here we go. So if you're on 18, uh, starting with, uh, sorry, chapter 1, verse 18, this is what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, let's just stop there for a second, and let's just talk through what this means. The way that they did marriage is different than the way, and I have to get in the weeds a little bit, explain a little bit of Jewish marriage. I know, you were like, Boy, I hope when I go to church tonight, they talk to me about Jewish marriage from the first century. Okay? So here's, here's how this worked. Two families would make a decision that they would bring their kids together. It wasn't exactly an arranged marriage per se, but there was a lot of discussion and a lot of uh, sort of work that the parents did to kind of bring these two kids together. Generally, the boy was a little bit older probably 17, 18. The girl was a little bit younger, probably 12, 13, 14. And that's the situation we have here with Mary and Joseph, okay? Their families come together and they make an agreement 
that their kids are going to get married. And then what happens is they enter into a period where they kind of wait for this marriage to kind of fully come about. And there's this waiting period. And it's about a year usually in Jewish uh, uh, traditions. Now, it's sort of like when we're engaged. Sometimes you'll be engaged for a short time or a long time. You know, sometimes you meet somebody in Vegas and you elope. I don't, like, that would be a very short, I wouldn't recommend that one. Uh, but sometimes it's a short time, sometimes it's a long time, right? I've, I've done marriages for people who, you know, they were like, hey, we know this is right, we're older, we're going to get married immediately, and we know that this is, and we just went ahead and married them in the office. Like, and I've been in situations where people were engaged for like two years, or three years, or some of you guys need to get off the schneid and ask your, you know, girlfriend who you had for like six years to get married. If anyone's doing this, uh, that's awkward. Okay. But in their culture, they would come together, and there would be sort of supervised visits. There was no canoodling going on. I'm going to try to keep this PG for the kids. Um, And all of their kind of togetherness was done within the context of their families. The, The man would go and create a space onto his father's house or his father's estate or their Wherever they lived, whatever land they had, he would create a space for him and his wife to to come and start their marriage. And during this year, they were supposed to be celibate. All their kind of interactions were supposed to be sort of monitored and controlled. And they were supposed to grow in their connection with each other throughout this year while they prepared to receive the bride that was coming. Okay? So during this time, Mary becomes pregnant. Now, just imagine Joseph, how he would have felt, right? He would have been absolutely, like, betrayed, and it would have come completely out of nowhere for him. He would have never expected Mary to become pregnant. He would have never understood how she could become pregnant because he would have known it wasn't him that was involved in that situation. And for him, the scenarios for how this could have happened were all bad. All of them were bad. So he's crushed. And he has a decision to make. And I think this is actually shows you the character of who Joseph is because for just a second we get a glimpse of what the gospel looks like. When we talk about the word gospel here, we talk about the idea that we've been forgiven and we've been shown mercy when we don't deserve it. And Joseph has an opportunity to do what's right, to do what's honorable in their culture to do what would get him his honor back in this situation to sell Mary down the river or to treat her in a way that would have been unmerited favor and mercy. And he chooses uh, the latter. So she was found to be pregnant with, uh, through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, during this year, two things go back and forth monetarily between these two families. First, a bride price is paid by the, bride's, uh, by the groom's family to the bride's family. Uh, and I, you're like, wait, they bought the bride? That's, that sound, like, that's like, what are, we, are we trading? Is this like livestock? Like, what's going on here? No, okay? So just uh, the groom's family was receiving someone who was going to add to the output of their family, right? They were going to all of a sudden be more capable and have more access to you know, different types of work that could be done around their homestead. Like They were receiving somebody who would be valuable to them, and the other family was losing a capable person 
from their family. And so that payment was made, honestly, it was made to cover the loss to the family who was losing the bride, okay? So just for what it's worth, that's what the bride price was. So the groom's family paid that. Then the dowry was paid from the, the woman's side to the man, uh, to the man's side. And actually, it wasn't paid to his side. It was paid with the bride. So she would bring something with her that was incredibly valuable in case her husband died or in case her, there was a divorce. If she was ever on her own, she would have some monetary, something of monetary value that she could use to take care of herself in the future. And I, I know that's a little bit like what we do with uh, an engagement ring. You, you give, I mean, especially in old times, you would give an engagement ring so in case something happened, the woman would be able to sell the ring, use the money to be able to take care of herself if her husband couldn't be there to help. And in that society, you couldn't own land, you couldn't do a lot of things as a woman. You needed uh, something to help protect you if you were in that situation. So this money went back and forth. Now, if Joseph was following the law, which it says here that he was righteous and a law follower, he was able to uh, keep the dowry. So he would be able to keep the dowry in this situation because it would be assumed that Mary had cheated on him. He would be able to get his honor restored to him by saying that she did this without me being involved in this situation. And he would also be able to get the bride price back so financially and from an honor perspective, which this was an honor and shame culture, Joseph, the right thing for him to do would have been to restore his honor publicly by, by selling her out and to keep the dowry financially. And basically, he would have made out financially and would have made out by restoring his honor and then being able to marry someone else. Um, and he chose not to do that. And you have to wonder why he chose not to do that. To him, even though he was a law follower and that would have been the right thing to do by the law, he chose to defy the law and to take on her shame and to share in that and to not financially gain from her situation. By him stepping in and marrying her, he took on that situation and basically to publicly said, I was the father. For people to have looked at their situation from then on, they would have assumed he was the father. So he took on part of her shame, and financially there was no windfall for him in that situation. And you have to ask the question, why did he do this? Well, it says right here that he was um, faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. I don't know if you've ever been so wrong that all you wanted to do was get retribution for, from the other person, but that was a situation that Joseph found himself in. And instead of following the law to the letter of the law and allowing her to take the full amount of shame and allowing him to have his uh, honor restored and allowing him to receive financially from that situation, he decided to take on that shame himself and pay that price himself. What we have here is a picture of the gospel. Joseph is a man who's going to raise Jesus, which by the way, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but like the missing part of scripture, the part that I wish I had just unbelievable volumes of what Jesus was like when he was a kid and a teenager. Nobody, nobody else has ever thought about what this would have been like to raise Jesus. What that would, I, like, I interact with my own 12-year-old and my own 9-year-old, and I think, like, hi, Mace, how you doing? I think, what was it like to raise Jesus, right? 
But I think God chose Mary and Joseph because they embodied the gospel. Joseph has a chance to restore his honor and to financially make out in this situation. And he chooses to give unmerited grace and unmerited favor to Mary. And he decides to not expose her and to do it quietly and to take on some of that shame and to pay some of that price even though he's the one that's been wronged in this situation. And so he said he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, but after that he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He will take away their shame. He will pay the price for them. That he was already going to act in a way that would have honored the gospel. And then this uh, angel comes and tells him that he'll take Mary on. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then Joseph woke up, and he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do. He took Mary as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until they gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And what we see here is a parent who is just living the gospel, has a chance to do all kinds of harm in this situation, and chooses not to. Chooses to honor his uh, oath to Mary and to, to take care of her in this situation. And he is obedient to what God has called him to do. And I would say Joseph's superpower, right? If you were going to step back and say, what made Joseph so amazing was his obedience. Because God told him to do something and he just did it. Even as we think through this Christmas season and we think through what the core pieces of Jesus coming to earth as a baby, as Emmanuel, God with us, even means, this idea of the gospel, of unmerited favor and grace and mercy that's given to us, when we don't deserve it, right? when we have not earned that in any way, shows us the heart of God. And it's the same as the heart of Joseph in this situation. Jesus is adopted by Joseph, but he is truly a son of Joseph. So we're going to finish our service here. Uh, we like to do this every year. Um, and we're going to go out in just a minute. We're going to go out into the lobby. It's going to be a little bit dark. And we're going to take some candles and we're going to light those candles and we're going to sing Silent Night. That's how we finish usually every year. And then we can have some uh, delicious snacks uh, but I would like to pray for us as we finish here, and then I'll give you just a few more uh, uh, directions. So would you pray with me? Uh, Jesus, even as we think about the idea that Joseph showed us what the gospel looked like, that there is a way to, be, to honor the law and also to honor the spirit of who you are, God, would you just show us that you came to be with us, you came to make yourself um, part of our lives, that you came to have a relationship with us. And God, would you help us to open our hearts again to receive you as this incredible gift that's been given to us by a God who loves us. Jesus, we pray that in this season we would keep our eyes on what is most important, and that is you, that is the mercy and the grace that you've shown us through your life and through your death and resurrection. It's in your name we pray.
Amen.